0: friend of mine the other day was telling me about a a college town down in the Caribbean. Sounds awesome, doesn't it? Already, you're like, sweet. Wish I would have gone to school there. Went to Purdue North Cal, little snowy, Caribbean college town, that'd be sweet. And uh, he was telling me that there was a highway that would take you in and out of the city where this town was. And um, on the billboard leaving town was this advertisement that was an advertisement for a local bar. And it said, free beer tomorrow. What a great ad. I know some of you are, are very conservative and you're like, Pastor just talked about beer. I said, okay. Just hear in your mind, free shoes at Macy's tomorrow. Like, what a, what a genius concept. What a genius, like, advertising slogan. That sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? Like, Free shoes tomorrow, free beer tomorrow, all you can handle tomorrow. You're like, I'm coming back. And then you come back, and you realize the sign hasn't changed. It's still free beer tomorrow. And you realize what sounded too good to be true was actually too good to be true because you were too impatient to stop and think about it. Because uh, the relative nature of tomorrow has us always constantly chasing the satisfaction that it promises, only to realize that tomorrow never comes. It's always today. I have never woken up tomorrow. I always wake up today. Have you figured that out yet? It's the weirdest thing. The date changes. The clock changes. But I'm always living in this present moment today. And um, last weekend was a really fun weekend here at our campus uh, we had a record attendance here. 650 people came into our, our church for, to hear the gospel preached and to worship Jesus and to don their best Easter attire. And, uh, and I, I, after every time we preach the gospel, here's something that I hear back from people. It's like one of the com- most common responses to the gospel is this Yeah, 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 yeah that sounds great. But, but quite honestly, Dan, that sounds too good to be true. It sounds like that new hope that I can have in Jesus, that that one-day salvation is way too good for me to have today. It sounds like, quite frankly, and sorry for the crudeness of this, but it sounds like free beer tomorrow. It sounds like a trick, like a a, a trap. Because if you think about it, the only way to get that free beer tomorrow is to hop into a DeLorean to fill up the flux capacitor and go get it. Like it takes you stepping out of our world, out of time, and to go into the future to grab a hold of what the promise is. And similarly, it seems to us like the only way for us to experience eternal life is to die. And then eternal life can begin. And friends, here's where I'm going with this whole message today. I want you to hear this so. Clearly and so consistently, and so often from me over the next half hour, that the rest of your week is kind of ruined in this tension of trying to figure this out. I want you to know today, I want you to hear so clearly that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not just some assurance about a someday resurrection in your life, that after I die, I theoretically am resurrected in some future state. No, no, I want you to hear this. It is a life. Changing truth and reality today. Unlike the free beer where it's never tomorrow, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, it's available and accessible to us today. One of the majestic truths about resurrection is that tomorrow, the the future has crashed into today, into the present. Which means that all that was prophesied a long time ago about the distant future has now come true because of the past and which changed the present. Keep up with that. The resurrection should change your life, then. Not just in where your security lies after you die, but today. I think about the early Christians who were around when they saw Jesus crucified. They saw him resurrected. And how else does a buffoon like Peter, who who was always tripping over his words, always at war with people, how does he become this emboldened, passionate preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ so much so that when he is crucified, he says, I'm not worthy to be crucified like Jesus was. Do it upside down. I want to die upside down because I can't die the same way that Jesus died, but I'm willing to die. How how do people like Matthew and Simon and Andrew and, and 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 uh, all the other disciples, how do they become white, hot, passionate followers of Jesus Christ, willing to risk their lives and be outcasts, unless the resurrection of Jesus Christ has changed them? And we see, indeed, it has changed them. It changes their relationship. It changes their passions. It changes their purpose. It changes their finances. It changes everything about their life is now spent in a totally different way. And so I don't want you to have come last week and have heard the gospel message and thought, that's really cool for when I die. When I die, I know, like, my family can rest at peace, knowing that I'm good with God, like, my eternal life has begun. No, 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 no. The promise is better than that. The promise is that somehow God has invaded this reality today with a new reality. That's the title of this message. It's, it's New Life in Real Life. New Life in Real Life. Would you just look at the person next to you and just tell them, hey, we're going to learn about new life in our real life. New life in our real life. Go ahead. Go ahead. Just remind them, wake them up, because I've already lost like 20% of you. Shake him if you have to. We're gonna talk about new life in our real life. The question is simply this. What does new life mean in our real life? Like, like how can the resurrection of Jesus Christ impact and change my life today? So open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That's where we're going to start this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So important is this idea of the resurrection. So important. The disciples' lives are radically different because Jesus was not dead in the grave, but he was resurrected and alive. You see, the, the resurrection is of highest value and importance to us as Christians, I don't know if I was to ask you today, like, you know believer, you've been in church for a long time, like, what's the most important thing to Christianity? Or what's the one thing where, like, if you lost this, you would lose everything? And I'd throw out there, to some of you, I'd be like, seven-day creation? And some of you'd be like, well, the inspired, infallible, and word of God is our highest authority. And some of you'd be like, that seems really important, too. Some of you, I'd say, like, what about the virgin birth? What about that? Is that important to us? If we lost that, will we lose everything? And some of you would be like, well, I don't know. Dan, stop with these hypothetical questions. You're really making me uncomfortable. But listen, if I said, what if we just gave up on the resurrection? You all would be like, well, what do we have? If we give up on the resurrection, you know what we have is we just lower the gospel of Jesus Christ and put it on the same shelf next to the book of Islam and the book of Mormon and, 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 and for, the, for that matter, next to Scientology and next to voodoo. We lower Christianity from being the, the, the true religion that tells the true story of God and how he changes our life. And we just kind of reduce it to moral platitudes. Here's how to live your best life now. But the, but the resurrection, because we believe in it, because we hope in it, it is the bedrock of our faith. And so Paul says in First Corinthians 15, which by the way, I'm for all those other things that I was questioning a moment ago. In case some of you are like, heresy alert, I'm talking to the elders about that one. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, he argues, he logically lays out all about the resurrection. I want you this week to read 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in its entirety. That's a great just way to meditate on this this week. But for our time here, I want to just point you to verse 20, take you there right away. Paul says this, he says, but in fact, and this is a great place for an amen coming up. Just get, I know sometimes you need a heads up. So here we go. Heads up, heads up. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. always appropriate. If ever I'm in trial in a jury in like the Supreme Court, you know something's terribly gone wrong at Bethel Hoover Portage. But also, I'll probably preach the gospel. And if you're in attendance that day, I'll say, well, Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. And that's an appropriate time to amen. I'm just telling you, it's never wrong to amen the preacher when he says, Christ has risen from the dead. Why? Because the resurrection is our bedrock. Amen? Good. Glad we covered that hypothetical situation in my tragic ending. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Paul here, he is connecting the image of Jesus' resurrected life as if it were the first fruits of those who have also died. First fruits, first fruits. This is an agricultural term, it's a gardening term, it's a it's a farming term. The first fruits are the first buds, the first actual tomato that makes it on the vine that you look at, and by that first fruit, you can, um, as a gardener, as as someone who's trying to make this thing bloom and get as much out of it as possible, you can tell the quality and the quantity of what's coming. By this first fruit, you can judge what is the rest of this going to be like. Paul says, because Jesus has been raised from the dead, he is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, which is those who believe in Jesus he is the first resurrected one out of the resurrections that are to come. He is showing us that his resurre- resurrection is the type that your, that your resurrection is going to follow, Which means Christians, you and I can look at the death and resurrection of Jesus and see that it's something like what we're going to experience in the future. It's something like what he wants us to realize is for us. In another letter to another church, Paul writes it this way. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body. There's so much in this Philippians passage that we could talk about, but for the sake of our time today, I want you just to see this. God's plan for your life it is not merely the immortality of your soul. God's plan for the gospel to bear fruit in your life and for you to be resurrected from the dead is not simply so that at the end of time, when you die, your soul might live on, though your body perishes. So many of us live today, and this is a, uh, just, I don't have time to explain how we got here, but we're here. Where all of us in some form of our life we live like we obey Plato Plato I could talk about your philosophy, just Wikipedia it, but we all often think about Plato as as, as we're we're souls trapped inside a form we're, we're spirits trapped inside a body we're, we're disconnected in some regard like who I am in my thought life is different than who I am in my physical world and this is so contrary to what the Bible believes the Bible portrays a picture of us as if we are super technical word, psychosomatic unities. We are mind and body fused together so that what I do with my body affects my soul and what I do with my soul affects my body. How many know you can inflict serious damage upon your soul by what you do with your body? The 9 o'clock was way more honest than you. And how many of you here know that what you do with your soul can affect your body? You ever told a lie that you knew you shouldn't have told and then couldn't sleep at night? Yeah. Because somehow we are connected. Somehow we can't separate this body, soul thing that God has created us, nor should we try. And this is part of the reason why I think Paul goes to great lengths to say, we await our citizenship in heaven. Yeah, 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 that's in the future. But but Jesus is going to transform our lowly bodies. He's not just going to resurrect our mind and our spirits and send us into eternity. He cares about the whole person. He cares about your body. He cares about who you are. Which means Jesus Christ's resurrection has tremendous implications for you today. And for some of you, you've thought long and hard for a long time that "Mm, when I die, when I enter into eternal life, God's going to give me a new body. And so many of us here are sick. Some of us are growing weak. Some of us here have been uh, plagued by so many problems. And some of us here just think, like, I'd take a new body. Like, i take a body that doesn't get worn out by toddlers. Let's just start there. Six-pack abs and doesn't get, doesn't get worn out by toddlers. I'll just take that body right there. Anybody else with me? Right? Like, we just want a Brad Pitt body. I want a Brad Pitt body. If I can be completely honest with you in church today, I want Brad Pitt. Not Brad Pitt today. I want Brad Pitt like five, 10, 15 years ago. I want a 15-year-old Brad Pitt body. That's me. That's what I want in heaven. God, you heard me right now. Whenever I bind in heaven, loose on earth, that's it. Right, so look for me in heaven, I'll look like Brad Pitt. No, we have this idea. We have this really twisted idea that somehow, when I die, there's going to be this resurrection of the body, but it's going to look nothing like you. And the reality is that God is going to transform our lowly bodies to be glorified like his body, like Jesus' resurrected body. It reminds me of that time when, um, when Jesus after his resurrection, the Gospel of John pulls this out. You remember that disciple that doubted? Uh, Thomas was his name. And Jesus uh, gets into the room. Somehow he's in this room where the disciples are all gathered. And Thomas has said this. He says, I'm not going to believe in Jesus that he's risen from the dead unless I see the place where the nails went through his hands. And Jesus one day shows up. And he's like, hey, Thomas. He, didn't, he had a cloak, not a bad sweater. And he, he looked and he said, look. Touch, see. And Thomas walked over to the scars in Jesus' hands. Healed scars. Scars that if Jesus had a different resurrected body, wouldn't be there. Scars that if, if, if God had nothing to do with the previous shell of a person that he was while he was here on earth, that wouldn't be there. But, but, but for the sake of Thomas to believe, he holds out his hand and he says, Look at my scars. They show you that I'm the one that used to live and died, and now I'm alive again, the very same one. We wonder like, what was different about Jesus' his resurrected body that was different than his, his pre-death body? And I don't know. I know that his resurrected body was healed, because the scars, three days later, are perfectly fine. But they're still there. They're still scars which shows you and me something so important, so important, is that this life here on earth before you die matters. How you live today matters. What happens to your body now matters forever. And for some of us, if we can just be honest, that's not good news. Because the secret, the, the, the dirty little secret of our lives is that most of us hate our bodies. They're, they're like this prison that we wish we could escape. There's like, they're like this thing that we just wish it could start all over that could have a new life, a new, a new start, a new body. That sounds amazing. I want to be rid of all this. I want to be rid of my sin. I want to be rid of all the decisions I made. I want to be rid of all the things that have scarred my soul. I want to be rid of it all. I want to be rid of the cancer. I want to be rid of the emotions that I feel that are trapping me. I want a body where I can sleep at night. I want a body I want a body where I want a body like Adams when he's in the garden. Martin Luther was famous for using this illustration to talk about how awesome it used to be before sin crept into the world. He said Adam's creative body was so perfect and the world was so different that Adam's idea of play would be that he'd go find a grizzly bear and he'd throw it around. He'd go play with a bear and it wouldn't touch him. You know, that type of strength, that type of endurance, that type of relationship with the world And I think about this. I think about Genesis chapter 2. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it to you. But in this world, the last echo of what we see in this world of perfection, in this world where our bodies aren't something to escape, we see this, Genesis 2, verse 25. It says, the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Some of you are like, Our pastor just said naked. Can you say that? Beer and the naked, we're out of here. Naked. And i I don't have a category for this. Like in my mind, I don't know what type of world it's like to live in a place where you can be naked and not feel shame. Like that's just a fundamental reality of our world today is that you got to cover it up. And you do, right? And so when sin comes in, when Adam and Eve rebel against God, is it no surprise to us that the first thing that breaks, along, along with their relationship with God, the first visual demonstration of what has broken in the world, there's no earthquake, there's, no, there's no, no rocks trembling. The first thing that happens is Adam and Eve look at each other, they look at their bodies, and they go, not good? i got to hide. I don't want you to see this. And they run away. And we now live in a world where to be naked, is to be ashamed. And sin has always twisted our self-perception of our bodies. Sin has always gotten into our minds and caused war with us, to cause cause in us global body image problems. I know this because I spent six years as a middle school pastor, and um, so often I would have middle school girls walk into my office with one of their parents and show me their wrists, and they would be slashed up. And I'd ask, what's going on? And they'd say, I just hate myself. And so many other girls, and, and actually boys, would walk into my office with one of their parents and say, I haven't, I haven't eaten more than twice a day in like two years. And when I do eat, I run to the bathroom, I throw it up, And I just feel so unlovely. I feel so gross. I feel so disgusting. And one of the most obvious signs of the way that sin twists our self-perception of what God created to be good is I would ask some of these girls, I'd say, would you just draw me a picture of what you think you look like? And I would stare a malnourished girl square in the eyes as she would draw the biggest picture of any person I've ever seen. Unless we think body image problems are just a woman's issue, men, statistics tell us that we have our own issue with body image problems. For some of us, you're just workaholics, you're just trying to get jacked at the gym so that you can just be strong, and that's a topic for another day. But how often is is a man's mind drawn into inappropriate thoughts, inappropriate actions, inappropriate places that you search on the internet? to see bodies, and we know, naked and ashamed, and so we don't have a concept for what it looks like for our bodies to be renewed and restored and recreated in this life because we're so jacked up, like all of us have in some way this like, this complex about our bodies. I'll tell you what mine is. You want to know what mine is? Mine is that um, I have a, a little boy who is four weeks old now. Really exciting, and he's bald, and he's got a receding hairline. And every day I raise this kid, I lose more hair. And one day I'm just gonna bick it all off, and you need to give me a hug and tell me it's okay. Why? Because sin has distorted my re- my my perception, my beautiful glowing hair. Right. So we all have this. We all have some sort of twisted thing that we're trying to hold on to. And and when I say that Jesus is gonna resurrect and and recreate your physical body. Some of us, we go, no, Brad Pitt body. But the reality is, it's a beautiful thing. Because when your life is made new by God, the scars on your body that you try and cover up, the things that you're ashamed of that you don't want out of the closet, you just want to make sure nobody knows about them. The scars, especially if you think about the scars of Jesus' hands, they become the stories that you tell about how good God is. That's the point of a resurrected body. I look at so many of you around here who have been through hell fighting cancer. And one day, you will have a body that is very similar to the one you have right now, but is not riddled with cancer. Amen? And you will be able to say, I love God because he allowed me in my moment of weakness to see his strength was strong in me. And I love God because in my moment of my body failing, it brought me to my knees to trust in him more. One more story. None of this is in my notes. I'm sorry. One more story. And then I'll finish our message. When I was in fourth grade, I had a Bible school teacher who was a, a dad, who was a friend of my, uh, a, a dad who was a friend of mine. Friend of mine's dad. And um, he, uh, he had this scar that went from ear to Adam's apple. And fourth grade, that's like maybe like 10, 11 years old. And I remember, like, he'd be talking about Jesus, and I'd just be like, Scar, 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 scar. <laughs> but I knew better. Like, you know, like my parents raised me with a little bit of decorum. But Johnny, his parents didn't one day in the middle of our Bible school class, he goes, hey, what's up with your scar? And I'll never forget this because this man, his head snapped as if somebody had ripped off a band-aid. And with a growling voice, he said, I don't talk about my scar. It was maybe like 20 years ago this happened. I saw this guy the other day. Uh, a couple months ago, maybe, maybe 18 months ago, I saw this man. And Jesus had resurrected his life. He had met Jesus in a really profound way that maybe he hadn't yet. And he was telling me this story. He said, Dan, you've asked me about this before, but I've got another one over here now, and it's because I've struggled with depression. And I've struggled with anxiety. And I'm not proud of it, but I tried to kill myself once. But in my moment of weakness, and I tried to do it again not too long ago but in my moment of weakness, God met me, and he saved me. I want you to know, like, he's freed me from the shame that I feel because I know he's making me a new person. And now I look in the mirror, and I see these, but I don't see him as the failure for what I am. I see him as the success that God is in my life. You see, your scars tell a story. Your scars tell a story, always a story about how good God has been to you. And so when we have this new life that's available through Jesus, one of the things that it it changes for us is that that our bodies become instruments and testimonies to the power of God in our lives. We we can all of a sudden start to give testimony and say, I know this is terrible, but but, 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 but God has done this. God is healing me. I have hope in God. I guess what I'm trying to say is that because Jesus has resurrected the new life, happens in this life's life, which means resurrection of Jesus was the inauguration of new life in this life, which means what happens now matters. Because Jesus is resurrected, we have the concept of new life today, and his resurrection brought together, it brought to new world this kingdom of God that we experience it today, And, and here's the second thing I want you to see, is that the resurrection of Jesus, it indicates that a new kind of life is available today. Not only did it start, and you can have it today, but a new kind of life is available today. You don't have to keep living the way that you used to live. That's good news. That's amazing. It's the best news. I think we've long thought poorly about this. So many people assume that eternal life looks something like this, that that, um, I'm born. Check. I live. Living. Check. I, I die. Not there yet. But then, when I die, I begin my eternal life. And to to think about it that way is a sin. In that model, weaken Christianity. Except for forgiveness of sin, in that model, really the only good stuff is is all in the future. It's one day that all the stuff of faith comes to comes true in Jesus, the day that I die, and, and nothing changes in between that day and today. So good luck getting saved when you're five. Because all you have to do is try not to blow it and not walk away from the faith. or not doing so bad that you'll wonder if you're really saved. Like, if I can just hang in there, if I just suffer long enough, then God's going to reward me. That totally misses the point. You totally miss the fulfillment of all the massive promises that God has made and he wants to fulfill in your life today. See, the problem is, is not our future. Our problem is present. Uh, two, two verses help point this out, both from Paul. Look with me at Galatians 2.20 and Romans 6.4. You all still with me? Galatians 2.20. But Christ who lives in me, crucified with Christ, that's in the past. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, in the present, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Who loved me and gave himself for me. And notice Romans chapter six, verse four, says, We were therefore uh, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, that we too might walk in newness of life today. Today is the day of eternal life. Today is the day that your life can be made new. And Paul is not saying like, hey, hey, just hang in there until you die. It's going to be great when you die. He says, no, no, no. Jesus has died and then come back to life so that your today can be different. That's the hope we have of resurrection. That's the hope that we have. So we see these words, we read these, and we see sometimes our hope for eternal life is far too exclusively future. Paul says, you have new life today. Does anybody like new stuff? Man, guys, it's a problem for me. I love new stuff. I don't care what it is. I'll, um, I'll grab like the circulating ads or like the weekly ads uh, when they come in the mail. Why do we get so many of those? So, I don't get any mail except for that. And um, I'm, I read it over the trash can so my wife doesn't see it. And spend all of our money. She would never do that by the way. I would do that. And I'm looking at it and I go, Car hearts on sale. Could use some new car hearts. At my desk, I got office hands, but um, I live in Northwest Indiana. I should have I should have some car hearts. Should I have some car I want some new car hearts. I want the car hearts that have like that thing with the USB port in it, I can charge my phone in my pants. That would be awesome. That's the type of thing. I, it gets cold in my office sometimes. I could really use some new car hearts. Don't get me started on actual cars, right? Drive down the road and I see those new cars and they all, like, integrate with your life. You can, like, talk to your car now and your coffee maker at home will turn on. Pfft. I need that, guys. I need. It saved me so much money going to Starbucks. I was talking this week uh, on Wednesday night here at the Oano Awards night with one of our middle school students. And he had a tablet. I, it was a very obvious moment for me to realize how old I'm getting. I'm disconnected from technology, because I was looking at this tablet and look at this middle school student. I was like, "Dude, that's really cool! Like, like, is that running the Android uh, thing?" He was like, "Yeah," and then he rattled off some numbers that could have just been gibberish to me. Like he explained like atomic fission to me or something. I, I don't really know what he was saying, but um, I could tell by the way he said it and the fact that it was technology that it was already obsolete. And he goes, "I just I'm waiting for the new one." I was like, priceless, dude. This is priceless. You're 12. Like, waiting for the new one. And so I just, I egged him on a little bit. I was like, man, I love new stuff, don't you? He's like, yeah. I, I love new iPads. I love new phones. I, when I get a new phone, I feel like a new person. He's like, yeah, I know. It's like, seriously, I feel like I'm a better person when I get a new phone. Like, it's a better version of me that I'm finally tapping into because I've got this new device. And every, like, I don't know, is it, like, eight months? I don't know. I've had this phone for, like... Four months. I want the new one. Four months. Every four months, I feel like there's a better version of me out there. They're just waiting for me to grab hold of it. And he was like, I know me too. And all of us have this, this twisted materialistic or twisted sa- desire to be satisfied with newness, 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 new, new, new. And, 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 and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the new you that solves all the other yous. It is the only thing that will satisfy you. It's the only thing that is out there that will completely put an end to the desires that are misplaced and the wrong things. Because here's what God does when he resurrects you with a new life. He rips out the old heart and he puts in a new heart. He, you see, Jesus is not just in the business of taking the same resurrected body with all your scars and just raising it up and letting you be like you 2.0, but he's transforming you at the same time. He's fixing your desires. He's helping you be more patient. He's he's allowing you to to think first before you respond to other people so that you can calm down and not live your life in anger. He's helping you to, to have a new sense of patience and grace with your spouse because he's allowing you to forgive when you've been wronged. God is in the business not of just doing a DIY makeover to your life, but he's actually reworking you from the inside out to allow you to be completely new. This is the promise we have of new life because Jesus is alive. Christ was raised so we could walk in newness of life today. And what happens is that we no longer need to tell the story that I'm born, I live, I die, and then life begins. All of those things are assured for the Christian. It's just the order is out of place. Because you all have been born, check. You all are living. Make make sure your person next to you is not just sleeping; they're awake, living. Good, good, good. We're all living, friends. Some of you will have eternal life, and all of us will die. And the story that the resurrection tells us is that you don't have to wait to have eternal life until you die. But it goes: you're born and you're living. And in the midst of this, when you meet Jesus and understand that he is the resurrected Savior for your life, the the, the project that got started of recreating the world, it takes place now. Even though the old order continues on, you can live your life on a new level, in a new plane, with new purpose and new reality in Jesus. So I can hear some of you saying, Dan, how do you change? How do I change? What does it look like? What difference does it make? New in what way? And since I have eight minutes left, I want to give you quickly three ways that we see we can change. Look at Romans 6 with me. we we'll read just the first 11 verses. This is a long passage. Please stay with me. If you need to, like, read it out loud to stay with me, go ahead. It says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? You also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Three words. You can change. You can change. Go ahead and just say that out loud. I can change. If we weren't at a church, the next thing you'd be thinking is like, how much do I pay you a month, Mr. Motivational Speaker? Mr. Fix My Life on a seven-step plan? How much will the food cost me for a year? How much is the gym membership? How much is the, how much is the, no. no. See, I'm not peddling anything today. I'm trying to point you back to the reality that Jesus Christ has already made it a way for you to have new life today. It's found in accepting and believing in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this language sounds a little confusing, especially if you're a new Christian. See, see the, the, the whole image here is that power came down from heaven into the grave to resurrect Jesus up from the dead. And, and you who believe in Jesus have that same power that God raised Jesus from the dead living and dwelling inside of you. The Spirit is at work inside of you. He has done it. You see, so many things in life, we take in progression. We take in seven-step plans. We take in order. Um, As a junior high pastor, I used to have to go to junior high track meets. Those are like the second circle of hell. And um, they would do high jumps. And sorry if you're a seventh-grade track athlete. Star. They would start the high jump at like three feet, nine inches. Low. Low bar. We call that low bar. That's where that comes from, low bar. And kids would jump over, it and then they'd raise it, and they raise it, and they raise it, and then finally they'd be jumping like four two, four eight, five one. And um, you start low, and you get you get harder. Um, if you have ever been to like a tractor pull, you know that the tractors they like show off their strength and their their power, and they start with like stuff that's not really that impressive, and then move into it, and they really get going. The farther along it goes, and and it ends with like the most mega pull possible. And, That's our human way of doing things, is that we like to start slow and end big, but not so with God. Did you know that? See, God does the hard things first. Listen, he raised Jesus from the dead. Everybody agree that's hard thing first? Yeah. Because when you realize, like, God raised Jesus from the dead. He wasn't living. He wasn't breathing. He was dead. And He raised him up and He moved the stone and He let him out. And all of this is is God's doing, the power of God. You, You realize that, like, well, I'm not dead. Can't He do something with me? And my marriage isn't dead. Can't He do something with us? I mean, what's harder to raise someone from the dead or to get two people to love each other? What's harder to raise someone from the dead or for you to overcome your alcohol dependency? What's harder, for God to raise Jesus up out of the, the, the clutches of death itself or for you to stop looking at porn? Everyone agrees, raising Jesus from the dead, amen? Which means if the hard things has been done first, you have the power in all these other areas of your life where you want to change, so help you God to change the power of God living in us. You can change. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Man, I want to spend a whole series one day just talking about all this stuff. Paul says it this way, Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation, brand new. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Second thing that we learn here is that not only can we change, but we're free. We're free. Look at the person next to you to say, You can be free. Uh, this week was a great week. Uh, beautiful outside, and uh, I got a couple of little kids, and I was pushing them on the swing set in our backyard. And uh, my daughter Elin was on one swing, and Miles was on another swing, and it was just enjoying the moment. The sun was setting. The, it was really brilliant outside. Like everything just seemed alive, right? And um, my daughter was prophesying about the future. She was telling me what what the future is going to hold. She's like, "Daddy, one day I'm going to be a mommy." And I was like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! What's his name? Well, where does he live?" And who do you know that has a shotgun? (laughs) I think those things. And so she goes, one day I'm going to be a mommy. In her future world, she grows up, but her brother stays two years old. She goes, and and when I'm a mommy, I'm going to be able to tell Miles what to do. I was like, great. And um, I was laughing at all of her ridiculousness in the midst of this all. But I was also poignantly struck by this. Um, She's right. Hopefully. I pray this. I pray one day she grows up. She becomes a mom. I pray that one day there's a 40-year-old woman that emerges out of her. and I, I, I pray that she grows into being an, an old, wrinkly, old lady. I want that for my daughter. If I look at her life through the lens of truth, I know that she looks vibrant and alive right now. But isn't it true that the longer you live, the less you feel alive? Isn't it true that as she hits her 20s and her 40s and her 60s and hopefully her 80s, there will be this ever constant awareness that death is not farther away from me, death is coming closer? It's kind of a twisted analogy, right? It's like to talk about my daughter, then she's going to die. But you feel this too you feel the sentence of death upon your life. I won't ask for a show of hands, but all of us know what it is to break down, to, to have in our lives things that don't work the way they used to and to be reminded that we are trapped in these physical bodies and that one day we will breathe our last. And It's almost as if that day is just the, the final handcuff on our bodies that claims us in the sentence of death. I was reminded this week as I read the news of Aaron Hernandez, the pro football star who's accused of murdering one of his friends and then accused in a double homicide a couple of years later. He's serving a life sentence in uh, prison. He used to catch touchdown passes from Tim Tebow and Tom Brady. Dude had the world in front of his, just the world was his oyster. He was ready, like just poised to make millions of dollars, to have a great life, and... In it all, threw it away. Who knows why? And so he's serving a life sentence, and just this past week, he was acquitted on two accounts of murder. It showed him, I think you saw like, maybe a picture in the newspaper or on, online, and saw the relief that came across his face as it pronounced, not guilty. And though he was not guilty, he went back to his jail cell because he was guilty a couple of years prior, and so he's serving his life sentence And it wasn't but maybe Thursday that the guards at the maximum security prison were doing their rounds and they found Aaron Hernandez had decided to depart this world and he had hung himself. I don't know much about him, but I know. No matter how exonerated he must have felt by those two, he felt trapped by the one. And that his literal death sentence had hung over him. And I wonder if in that moment he thought, better for me to leave now because I am trapped by death than to wait it out. And friends, at a spiritual level, you and I are trapped by death. And what does the resurrection do for that? It shows us that we're not. It shows us that Though our bodies are still subject to decay in this current world order, in the new world that starts now and continues on forever, God has a plan for our bodies to let us be free from the effects of sin, free from the damage of death, free from all that would enslave us, where you don't have to live your life in corruption and decay any longer, but you can have the freedom from Christ. And and for many of us, our bodies are breaking down and we go, that's not going to happen right now. And that's true. That's why our hope is still future. That's why, even though the new life starts now here on earth, there's still a future component to it. And I want to show it to you this way it's that we have a living hope. This is the last thing. We have a living hope. 1 Peter 1 3 it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's the first. Passage that I ever got to preach here at the Hope Reportage campus. What a great passage. You have living hope. Why? Because you have a living Savior. You have the promise of tomorrow. Not in some free beer tomorrow sort of trickery, but in the fact that Jesus Christ crashes together tomorrow and today to allow you to have hope in the moment of your, per- of your current struggle. This was a really short week for me. Our whole staff took a day or two off after Easter. And so I came into the office on Wednesday thinking, all right, a couple days, do some work, get ready for the weekend. And I was on the phone so many times this week with people whose lives feel hopeless. Just lost a loved one. A loved one lost a battle to cancer. I think that happened twice this week. A marriage is collapsing. I'm feeling depressed here. I don't know what to do. I feel like everything in the world is against me. I don't know what to do with where I'm at. And all of these things over just a couple days started weighing down on me this week, just, just really kind of crushing me. And I realized It was so much I could quit. Like, I don't have to deal with this. This world is brutal. But I can't quit. It's not because I'm contracted. It's not because I have anything like that. It's because of this. Jesus Christ is alive. Hope is not gone. Like, no matter what the world throws our way, no matter how hard it becomes, no matter how much pain there is in the process, no matter no matter how much struggle there is in your story, we have living hope, which is strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow, isn't it? Is that because the grave is empty, your life, as bleak as it might feel right now, you need to bank upon the promises of God that it is not going to be like this forever. The sorrow that we Feel in our hearts. The psalmist says you turn our mourning into dancing for joy. Because Jesus is alive. You have hope. I don't know what the situation is in your marriage. If, if you're here together and maybe you're not here together and you just wish you could roll back the clock to your honeymoon where you both still liked each other. You know, like, I, I just don't know what to do. I want you here to, to, to hear this, friends. It's not hopeless. The power of God. In your life, can turn around any circumstance. The power of God in your home can change even the most dysfunctional of systems. The power of God in your life can renew your desires and renew your perspective. It reminds me of that old song, that old song that we would sing Because He lives, I can face tomorrow. Because He lives, All fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. All life is worth the living just because he lives. And that's just a sample, a small part of how resurrection and new life changes everything in this real life. In a moment, Parker's going to come up and sing us out of here. We're going to sing one small chorus of a song that we've already sang. And I want you to sing it as if you believe it. That God is able. Lifted up, he defeated the grave. Raised to life, our God is able. And in his name we overcome, for the Lord, our God, is able. Let's pray. Father, you know the hurt in this room and you know the pain in this room, but you also know the joy in this room and the hope that we have because you have given it to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that you you give us purpose to our lives right now, that you don't waste any seconds to our story. Father, help us as resurrected people to be able to share our scars with one another in a way that gives you so much honor and praise. Father, help us to realize that you want us to live in real life, in new life today. So God, let your spirit come and dwell in us. Help us to live in the power of God and God alone. Give us a new heart that clings to you. You agree with this prayer. Say amen.